everyone. It's great to see all of you in the room, those of you guys who are watching online. And uh, what a great weekend uh, for us to get a chance to be together as uh, we hopefully have a chance today to celebrate the mothers in our life. Uh, what a joyful time to be able to do that. In fact, can we just together right now, once again, can we just put our hands together to say thank you to all the moms and grandma and uh, great-grandmothers who are... Uh, represented in this room. And so uh, if you are a mother, we love you. We appreciate you. We see that you uh, are such play such a unique role and are such a gift from God. And so uh, to all the moms who are in the room, to all the moms who are watching online, we hope you feel loved and celebrated today because you are loved and you are celebrated and um, so excited for that. So hopefully you're doing something fun with your family uh, as a way to celebrate Mother's Day. Uh, I will say this weekend here at the Medina East Campus, you're actually catching us in the midst of a series that we've been doing now for the past few weeks. And the series itself is actually a larger series uh, that is called Jesus Over All. And if you're just joining us, uh, we actually started this a few weeks ago, and we actually began this whole series by looking together at a, uh, a pretty incredible passage of the Bible. We looked at Colossians chapter 1, and we said Colossians chapter 1 actually makes a really profound statement about Jesus Christ. And here's what Colossians 1 is going to say. Colossians 1 is going to say that all things were created by Jesus, that all things were created for Jesus, and that all things are created in Jesus, and that Jesus is over all. That's what Colossians chapter one is going to teach us. And here's what we've been saying. We're saying if that's true, if that claim is true, if what Jesus said about himself is true, if what the Bible declares about Jesus is true, if what historical Christianity says about Jesus is true, then we said, then that means that Jesus is over all things. And so as a result of that, we've been saying that the real issue, if that, if that is true, that the real question is not, are you the kind of person who wants to put Jesus first in your life? We said, if that's true, the real issue is, are we living in alignment with what reality is, that Jesus is truly above all? And so basically in this series, we've kind of taken that concept and we've taken that idea and we started to say, okay, if that's true, practically speaking, what does it look like to live a life where Jesus is above all? What does it look like to live a life that in alignment with the reality that Jesus is over all? And so uh, we started this whole series off, and you might remember we started with the first kind of sub-series, and we started talking about the idea of Jesus over my time. And so for the past few weeks, very practically, we had an opportunity to kind of talk about what does it look like for Jesus to be first in my schedule? What does it look like for Jesus to be first in my priorities? What does it look like for Jesus to be first in my stuff? And so we had a chance to kind of process through some of those ideas. So today, we're actually starting the next part, sort of the next chapter of this series. And this morning, and actually for the next few weeks together, I want to invite you to think with me about the idea of Jesus over my pain. So that's what we're going to start thinking about today. And for the next few weeks, I want to talk to you, we want to talk together about our pain. We want to talk about our hurt. We want to talk about the things in life that cause us hurt and cause us suffering. So Jesus over my pain. So happy Mother's Day <laughs> to all of you, right? So you, you might be thinking, man, the timing, we could have, could have picked a better time uh, to start a, a, a conversation like this. But I do want to just tell you that we were actually thinking kind of long and hard about this. And I'll just tell you that I have found in my experience, and, and my guess is many of you have found this to be the case as well, is that Mother's Day, while it's such a joyful occasion, it also is actually a, a day that's full of a lot of complicated emotions. And, and so there's a lot of things, there's a lot of whole range of emotions that come with a day like this. And so I know for a lot of us, there's a lot of joy because we're celebrating the mothers in our life who we love and we care about. 
But I also know that in that, there also is for some of us, there's a range of maybe some sorrow that's mixed in there. Uh, maybe for you, Mother's Day is a reminder to you of someone special that you've lost. Uh, I, I understand that maybe for some of you, Mother's Day is actually a little bit complicated because uh, it, it's a reminder of a relationship that you never had, or at least never a healthy version of a relationship that you never had. And I also know uh, that there are many people in our congregation that Mother's Day can feel a little bit like salt in a wound uh, because it reminds you of an unfulfilled dream that, that you've had. And so all, all I'm saying is that I know that this is a day that comes with a whole wide range of emotions and that pain is a part of sometimes what we experience on Mother's Day. So here's my hope today. My hope is that as we start this series, as we start this kind of conversation about Jesus over my pain, that we can just begin to think about this weekend, we can just begin to think about what does it look like to invite Jesus into those aspects of my life? into my pain, into my hurt, into my suffering? And what does it look like to live a life where Jesus is over my pain? He has authority over my pain. So that's where we're gonna begin the conversation here today. So if you have your Bibles, I would love to invite you to grab those with me. And if you would turn to 2 Corinthians chapter one, all right? I'd love it if you'd meet me there. 2 Corinthians one is we're gonna be spending our time. That, by the way, is gonna be found on 935, page 935 in the Bibles that are under the chairs. So if you did not bring a Bible with you here this morning, that's no problem. You can use one of the ones under the chairs. And let me say too, if you do not own a physical copy of a Bible, we'd love for you to take one of those and make that a gift from us to you. We would so love for you to have a Bible. So uh, 2 Corinthians chapter one is where we're gonna go. Now, as you're locating that and as you're getting to 2 Corinthians chapter one, I think it might be helpful if I just started uh, by, by kind of just getting us all on the same page by just uh, kind of reviewing three truths about our pain, three truths about our pain, just to kind of set the stage and to kind of get us on the same page before we jump into this passage. And so here they are. Here's the first thing that we need to understand before we dig into the topic about pain. is that following Jesus does not exempt us from pain. Okay, now I know that might sound really obvious to say that, but I feel like I need to say that because maybe for some of us, uh, we have been told, or maybe we have been under the impression that if I choose to follow Jesus, that that is my ticket to kind of a low maintenance life. That by following Jesus, what that means is it means that I'm going to be exempt from certain kinds of pain and suffering in my life. And I just wanna tell you, I just think it's important that I say this, that that's not true. Uh, that's actually not true at all. That's not even biblical. In fact, let me, let me show you something that Jesus Christ himself said. Here's what Jesus said in John 16. He said, I told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, you will have affliction, you will have pain, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So you see what Jesus says? Jesus says, in me, there is peace. In life, in this world, there's pain. There's going to be trouble. Jesus, following Jesus never uh, means that that will exempt us from pain. In fact, I think you can make a rock solid case that choosing to follow Jesus in some ways is gonna introduce a unique kind of pain into your life. So why would someone choose to follow Jesus if that's the case? Well, can I just tell you something that I, I've heard this uh, put, put this way several different times, and I just think that this is so true, is so true. I heard, I heard someone say this one time. We don't follow Jesus because he makes life better. We follow Jesus because he's better than life. Uh, we don't follow Jesus. And, I, I, and if you're someone who's investigating Christ, my hope is that maybe you would come to find what so many of us who follow Jesus have come to find. And that is that we don't follow Jesus because he makes our life somehow easier and better. We follow Jesus because he himself is better than life. 
And so here, here's what that means. What it means is that every single one of us in this room, and this is not always a, a popular fact, but every single one of us in this room is either coming out of a season of pain, we are currently in a season of pain, and or, and for every single one of us, we are, a, we are awaiting a season of pain. And even though we, we're not all gonna go through the same thing, we're all going through something. And that, that's just a true thing that is true because pain is inevitable. And I know when I say that, I know when I say that, there's many of you who are like, I know that's true, but you know what? I just hate that. I hate that. I wish we didn't, I wish we didn't have to deal with pain. I, I just hate pain. And that actually brings me to the second, the second uh, truth that I think is important. And that's this. I actually believe that it's not pain that we hate. It's not pain that we hate. It's actually pain without purpose that we can't take. I actually believe that this is true. I don't think it's that we hate pain. I actually don't think that's the issue. Now, some of you might disagree with me on that. But I think what it is, is it's pain without purpose that we can't take. Here's what I mean by that. Do you guys ever notice that we can endure, in fact, we even volunteer for an incredible amount of pain if we understand that there's a purpose behind that pain? Now, if you don't believe me, let me just give you a, a, a very simple example. How many in this room, show of hands, how many of you do CrossFit? You guys, any CrossFitters in this room? There's a few of you. All right, that's, that's, that's excellent. Um, so let, let, just think about this. Um, what are you doing when you're doing CrossFit? <laughs> like, what are you doing? Here's what you're doing. You are paying somebody, like a large amount of money, to put you into pain. That's what you're doing. Have you guys ever, if you don't do CrossFit, have you ever done a burpee in your life? Have you guys done a single burpee? It's a terrible experience. It's the worst feeling on planet Earth. Why would you subject yourself to that? Well, here's why. There's purpose behind it. There's an outcome that's behind it. That's why when people work out, they'll say things like, no pain, no gain, right? Or like, feel the burn. I don't know if anyone actually says that when they work out. But, but why is that? Because they've learned to embrace the pain and even volunteer for the pain because there's purpose behind their pain. Not to belabor the point, but let me give you one more example. Because it's Mother's Day, how about this one? Pregnancy, labor, and delivery, right? <laughs> So, so obviously, I have never birthed a child in my life, so I can't speak to this topic. But let me just ask you guys in this room. So I'm going to ask you to actually give me a little bit of crowd participation, so a little bit of feedback. How many of you who have had children in this room, who have actually given birth, I just want, I want to ask you this question. If I was to, 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 to ask you to give me one word, just one word to describe the first trimester of your pregnancy, just the first one, just shout it out to me. What word would you pick? Go ahead. A little interaction. Nausea. Okay, we'll go with nausea. I've heard a bunch of things. Let's go with nausea. Are you ready? Here, here's a second. Let me ask you this one. If I was to ask you to give me a word that would describe the second trimester of your pregnancy, which word would you pick? Shout it out to me. I hear a lot of things, but I can't understand it. Swollen. Okay. So nausea, swollen. Okay. All right. All right. So here we go. You guys ready? All right. Third trimester. What's the word? Hell. Okay. Hell. There we go. All right, so there we go. So uh, let's just review. Let's review. Nausea, swollen, hell. And you guys, this is before the labor and the delivery, right? And, and, and listen, how, how many of you, let me ask you again, how many of you who have given birth would say that when you hold that baby in your arms and you look in the, the, the eyes of that child that you say, worth it? worth it. Well, why is that? Some of you even do it again, right? Why is that? It's because it's, it's not pain. It's not pain that we hate. It's pain without purpose that we can't take. 
Listen, on a more serious note, can I just tell you that in my experience being in ministry and, and kind of working um, around people, I have found that pain and suffering is one of the main reasons that people lose their faith. I have also found that pain and suffering is one of the main reasons that people find their faith. So, so here's the issue. What I'm trying to say is it's not pain that's the problem. It's not. It's how we understand it. It's how we view it. And it's what we do with it that makes all the difference, right? And, and here's what leads to the third point. The third point is that God has a purpose in our pain. God actually has purposes for us in our pain. And so what I'm hoping to do today as we talk about what it looks like to live with Jesus over our pain is I just wanna talk to you about three purposes that I believe that God has in our pain, that scripture teaches us that God has in our pain, three purposes in pain. Now, I I need to say this before I show you those three purposes, I I need to actually kind of confess something to you. I sort of need to admit something to you guys. So this past week, as I was preparing for this message, I actually dealt with a fair amount of anxiety uh, getting ready for today's talk. And the reason is is this, and I'm sure some of you guys can appreciate this, Anytime I've had the opportunity to teach on what the Bible says about pain and suffering to a group of people, there's always this tension that arises in my mind and in my heart. And like I said, I'm sure a lot of you can appreciate this. And here's the tension. On one hand, I know for a fact that there are people who are in our church, there's people in our congregation, there are people who are right now in the midst of serious, severe pain. I know that's the case. And I know, I understand this. I know this full well. I know that there is is nothing that a a 40-minute sermon with three points is not sufficient enough to deal with the complexities and the confusion and the hurt and the frustration that you feel. And I also understand that anything that I'm about to say right now is gonna run the risk of sounding overly simplistic. I just, I understand that. And yet at the same time, here's the other side of the tension. You guys, I believe that what the word of God teaches us about our pain, that these purposes that we're gonna look at, that these are eternally sturdy, that they are true, and that if we choose with whatever amount of faith that we have to embrace these things, that they are true and they are sturdy and they're a foundation that's reliable. And so I just want you to understand that my heart is this. I do not wanna be like a bull in a china shop with the Bible. I don't wanna come in and be like, I don't care how you feel and this is what the Bible says. That's not true at all. But I do recognize that there's a real tension when you're in the midst of real pain and we talk about God's purposes. So having said all of that, let me tell you the three purposes that I think, and there's more than three, but just for our sake today, three purposes that the Bible tells us that God has in our pain. So what are they? Number one, God can use our pain. God uses our pain to bring us to him. What are God's purposes in our pain? One of them is this, God can use our pain to bring us to him. Number two, God uses our pain to make us like him. And then number three, God uses our pain to bring others to him, to bring others to him. Three purposes in pain. And I believe that all three of these, if we choose to embrace them, God can use our pain in redemptive ways in these three ways. So let's think about these together. Let's talk about the first one. God uses our pain to bring us to him. Uh, I had you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter one. Let's take a look at verse, uh, at verse uh, eight together. So here's what it says. The apostle Paul says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles that we experience in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. 
So we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt like we had received the sentence of death. All right, let me hit pause there for a minute and give you a little bit of context. So uh, this letter that we're reading, 2 Corinthians, was written by the apostle Paul. He's a first century missionary, and he's writing to a group of people in a town called Corinth. And so they were called the Corinthians. And I want you to notice what he says when he writes to them. He says to these guys, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be uninformed about the, look at this, the troubles that we experienced in the province of Asia, the troubles. Now the word troubles that's used there, some of you have different translations. It might be translated afflictions, afflictions. Now here's here's the truth. I actually looked into this. Uh, We don't exactly know what the circumstances were that the Apostle Paul was facing. We don't really know what was happening to him. There's no indication in the text. We don't understand historically what was happening in that moment. But I want you to notice the words that Paul uses to describe the afflictions that he was facing. I just want you to let this sink in for a minute. Here's what he says. He says, we were under great pressure. It was great pressure. It was way beyond our ability to endure. It was, it was more than we could handle is what he says. We actually despaired of life itself. Have you guys ever been through something where it's caused you to despair of life itself? And then he says this. He says, "We, we thought it was game over. We thought we had received the sentence of death. Now, again, we don't know exactly what the Apostle Paul was going through, but if you've ever done a character study on the Apostle Paul throughout the scriptures, I think it's pretty safe to say this. The Apostle Paul was no stranger to suffering no stranger to suffering of all varieties. And yet here, he says that they faced something that was so far beyond their ability to endure, they despaired of life itself. And and I actually want you to zoom in with me for a minute. I actually really appreciate something that Paul says here. I was, as I was studying this, this week, it just really hit me. Look what the apostle Paul says here. He says, it was beyond our ability to endure. It was beyond our ability to endure. And I'll tell you why I appreciated that so much. I appreciated it because, um, have you guys ever had this happen? Have you ever had a really well-intentioned person or a really well-intentioned Christian say these words to you? God will never give you more than what? Than you can handle. God will never give you more than you can handle. And, and maybe you even said those words to someone else before. And it sounds really nice, but did you notice in this passage, it seems like the apostle Paul is saying the exact opposite of that. He's saying, no, no, God gave us way more than we could handle. It was beyond what we could endure. I couldn't take it. I came to the end of myself. That's what he's saying in this passage. And yet, I want you to notice what the Apostle Paul says next. He says, God gave us beyond what we could endure. Now look at this. But this happened so that, so that. Some of you have a translation that just says that. Some of you have a translation that says, God did this because, and I just want you to, depending on what your Bible is, if you're someone who takes notes, I want you to circle those words. I want you to underline those words. I want you to highlight those words. And why is that, you guys? Because the apostle Paul is trying to help us make a connection. Those words indicate purpose. So Paul says, all this happened so that, and what was the purpose? What was the purpose, Paul? Paul's gonna say this. So that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. You guys, you see, I think this is amazing. Paul says, God, God allowed this that we, beyond what we could endure to bring us to the end of ourselves, so that we could rely on God. I think what this reveals to us is that all suffering, all suffering 
is meant to awaken and increase our reliance on God, that God will sometimes give us more than we can handle so that he can drive us to depend on him. I think that's what the Bible's trying to help us to see here. You know, I've actually, uh, I actually believe that on this point, man, C.S. Lewis's words ring so true. Uh, C.S. Lewis so famously said these words, and you maybe have heard this before, but he wrote a fantastic book called The Problem of Pain. C.S. Lewis himself was a man who was very well acquainted with pain. And this is what he said. He said, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You know, I believe that God can use pain unlike anything else, unlike anything else, to grab our attention and to help us recognize our deep need for him. I think this is actually a very congruent theme that you see all throughout the pages of scripture. So practically speaking, what does that mean? I think it means things like this. It means that God may allow pain in your life that you can't endure to awaken and teach you to depend on him. He might bring you to the end of yourself so that you would find him and that you would rely on him. Because this is certainly the case of the book of Job. If you've never read the book of Job, that's what the whole book is about. Uh, I think what this is telling us is that God may allow a struggle that you can't conquer to awaken you to the sufficiency of his grace. It's exactly what the apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, I had this struggle in my life. He, he actually likens it to a thorn in his flesh. He says, I begged God to take this thing away from me three times. And what was God's response? God's response was, my, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in your weakness. Or what about this one? I think it means that God might call you to something greater than your ability to teach you to rely on his power. God might call you to something that's beyond your capacity so that you can learn to rely on his power. That is certainly true with Moses. Some of you might remember the story, Exodus chapter four, God called him to a task. Moses said, I am not qualified for that task. And God said, I know, but I will be with you. I will be with you. I think what this means is it means that God might allow relational pain in your life so you can learn to depend on him. There might be a challenging relationship, a hard person that you cannot endure on your own. And that might be something that God allows in your life to draw you to your need for him. God may withhold something from you, a desire that you have in your heart to show you that he is enough to fulfill the deepest desires of your heart. And you guys, the list could go on and on and on. We could add more things to this, but I believe Paul's words here in 2 Corinthians chapter one, dare us to believe, guys, they dare us to believe that our greatest place of pain could be our greatest place of encounter. That the place where we experience the most pain might be the place that God meets us in the most unique way. Again, again, I, I just gotta say that as a pastor, I have, over the years, I've had the unique, I would even say this, I've had the unique privilege and the unique sorrow um, to sit with people during unthinkable tragedy, uh, during unimaginable disappointment, uh, during incredible times of loss. I've had the unique opportunity to sit with people in those, those moments and in those places. And can I just tell you that what I've witnessed is it seems to me that in those times, there tends to be one of two responses that most people have. They will either run to God in their pain, in their frustration, and in their hurt. Or they will run from God in their pain and in their frustration and in their hurt. 
And can I just tell you right now that if you're a person who's in this room or you're a person who's watching right now online and you are in a place of serious pain and, and maybe right now, listen, maybe for you, your ears are ringing so loudly because of the pain that you're in that it's too hard for you to hear any of the things that I'm saying right now. If that's where you're at, listen, would you just maybe grab a hold of this one thing? I'm just hoping you get a hold of this one thing. And that's this, man, God wants to meet you in your pain. He wants to, and he can. And so my only encouragement to you is rather than running from God in your pain, would you choose to run to him with your pain? Would you choose to run to his people, not away from his people? And what I, I, what I, don't, mean, I, don't, I, what I don't mean is it doesn't mean you have to pretend that you're happy. It doesn't mean you need to throw on a plastic face. It doesn't mean that you can't be honest and real about your frustration and your confusion and your hurt with God or with others. But it's a choice to say, I'm gonna take those things to God instead of run from God with those things. I believe God has purposes in our pain. One of them is that God wants us to draw us to himself. Here's the second one. God uses our pain to make us like himself. He wants to use our pain to make us more like him. Yeah, I don't know if you're gonna see this directly in this passage, but can I tell you that when you look at what the whole Bible teaches about the topic of pain, you're actually gonna see some very consistent themes. Let me just show you three verses. I could give you more than this, but let me just show you three places where you see the Bible talk about pain. So James, some of you guys are familiar with the book of James in the New Testament, James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whatever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, that perseverance finish its work so that you might be mature and complete, not lacking anything, all right? Peter says something similar. Peter says, in all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And then I'll give you one more. This is Romans chapter eight, one of the best passages in all of scripture. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now here's what I want, I want you to notice. Here's three different passages, three different authors. This is James, this is Peter, and this is Paul. And I want you to notice the amazing amount of similarities to what they're saying. So first off, I want you to notice that they're all gonna say something about pain. James is gonna say, when you face trials, you should consider it pure joy. Peter's gonna say, you can greatly rejoice when you face trials. Romans is gonna say, there are good things that are being worked out in your trials. Now, how is it that they can all say that? Is it that we're supposed to rejoice in our pain? No, 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 it's because there is a purpose is what they're gonna say. And so I want you to notice, all of them are gonna give us incredible words of purpose. So look at what James says. He's gonna say that uh, trials are gonna produce something. Those trials are going to work something. They're gonna finish something inside of you. They're gonna strengthen your faith. They're gonna help you be mature and complete. Peter says this. He says that the trials are gonna prove something. He says that they're gonna be, they're gonna refine something. They're gonna result in something. Romans says that God is working something in us. All of these are statements of purpose. And to what end? I think Romans 8 nails it on the head. It says that God's ultimate desire is he wants to strengthen our faith and he wants to conform us to the image 
of his son. He wants us to look like, act like, think like, have the character like that of Jesus Christ. And can I tell you something else that I think is so amazing about these three passages? Do you notice one thing they all have in common? James says, trials of many kinds. Peter says, all kinds of trials. Paul says, God is working in all things. What does that mean? Here's what it means. That there is no variety and there is no kind of pain, any kind of pain, that there's no variety of pain that cannot be used by God to be redeemed by him for his purposes and for your good. What this is challenging us to, to believe, you guys, is that there is, that, that doesn't matter what kind of pain you're in. And there's all kinds of different pain that's represented in this room. It doesn't matter what kind of pain that you're in. That God, in the hands of God, that is something that can be redeemed for your good and to refine you to be more like Jesus. That means, listen, no matter the loss that you face, no matter the abuse, no matter the neglect, no matter the heartbreak, no matter the, the, the mental struggle or the anxiety struggle, no matter the relationship that you don't have or the family that you don't have or the community that you don't have or the child that you don't have, any kind of pain, any kind of pain, all varieties, even the church pain that you have, that pastor or that priest who hurts you or that small group community that betrayed you, the, the church pain that makes it hard for you to even come into a place like this without becoming short of breath. It means that even that kind of pain, listen, even self-inflicted pain, our own failures and our own regrets. You guys, next week, we're gonna talk about Jesus over our regrets. And I can't wait to talk about the grace that, that comes in a conversation like that, but what this is causing us and daring us to believe is that God can use all kinds, all varieties of pain, that he has a purpose in it if we would allow him to work his purposes in us. I love the way Jerry Bridges said it in his book called Transforming Grace. He said, God never allows pain without a purpose in the lives of his children. He never allows Satan nor circumstances nor any ill-intending person to afflict us unless he uses that affliction for our good. God never wastes pain. He always causes it to work together for our ultimate good and the good of conforming us more into the likeness of his son. I believe God has purposes in our pain if we have ears that are willing to hear that God, he wants to, he wants to bring, uh, cause our pain to bring us to him, that he wants to use our pain to make us like him. And then here's the third one. I believe that God can use our pain to bring others to him, to use our pain to bring others to him. Second Corinthians chapter one, I want you to look with me at verse three. Look what the Apostle Paul says in verse three. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. Uh, now, honestly, I think that for some of us, we wish that that verse read differently. I think some of us wish it said, uh, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all protection, who keeps us from all kinds of trouble. I think we'd like that better. But that's not what it says. That's not what it says. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. He will comfort us in our troubles. Now, I gotta tell you this too. Um, the word that's used here, he says comfort. I actually, uh, I don't always think this, but this is one of the times where I actually wish the translators would have used a different word. Uh, what, I think when we think the word comfort, 
we tend to think of kind of this heartwarming, um, sort of calming, uh, a little bit of like, uh, 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 I, I don't know the best way to say it, maybe kind of like a calming, soothing sort of thing. But the word that's used here in the Greek is actually a very strong word. It's the word parakaleo. And that word literally means to come to one side. That's what it means. It was a military term. And so if you were in a battle and, you're, and you were losing, if you, you and your soldiers were losing, you would call in backup. You would, call, you would parakaleo. You would call in for support. And so someone would come with backup and they would come with resources to come to your aid. That's the word Paul uses. He says, this is a God of comfort. He's gonna come to your side in a unique way and resource you in a unique way in your pain. But then look what Paul says. He says, the God of all comfort who comforts us in our troubles so that, there's those words again, there's purpose here, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, sometimes it is our pain that qualifies us uniquely to minister and to serve and to love other people. That what we've experienced in our pain is what qualifies us to empathize and sympathize and come alongside other people in their pain. I love what Billy Graham said. Billy Graham said this. He said, God doesn't comfort us to make us comfortable, but he comforts us to make us comforters. God wants to allow the comfort that we receive from him in our pain to be something that we can pass and we can bless others with as well. That's interesting. Um, I I was actually thinking about this very point uh, this week, about how sometimes God can take our greatest place of pain and he can turn it into our greatest point of ministry. And as I was thinking about that, I actually was reminded of a gentleman in our congregation. So there's a family that we love that goes to our church. They've been part of our church for a while now. Um, And so his name is Jay and his wife's name is Yvonne. They've been coming for a little bit. I remember, I think it was about a year ago, maybe more than that, um, Jay actually invited me to go to lunch with him. And he he said, I I wanna tell you my story. I said, I'd love to hear your story. So we sat down and we got lunch and he told me about what God had done in his life and his story that included great pain and yet how God has redeemed that pain and how he uses that pain and how Jay, actually his greatest point of pain has become his greatest place of ministry. And I remember hearing that story. I was so blown away. I was so thankful for it that I actually remembered it. And I asked Jay a couple weeks ago, I said, Jay, would you be willing to maybe sit down and would you record that? Could we share that story with, with the folks of our church? And he was gracious enough and willing to do that. So I'd love it if you just took a minute and you watched Jay's story. So let's watch this together. It was dark, it was approaching midnight, Christmas Eve, typical 12 year old, laying in bed, couldn't go to sleep. All of a sudden, I just sat up in bed, and I got the sense as a 12-year-old kid that God was with me in the room. God had, I don't know, somehow in my spirit had, like, drawn my attention to him right then. And then I said, God, I want to live the rest of my life the way you want me to live it. And I'll do that as long as you help me, because I don't really understand what it's going to take or how to do that. But if you'll help me, I'll do that for the rest of my life. As a 12-year-old kid by myself in my room, Christmas Eve, about midnight on December 24th. 12 days later, January 5th, 1980, my dad and I oftentimes enjoyed the outdoors. We were, we were outside a lot, and that happened to be a time that we were hunting. We flushed a grouse, and both of us shot at it poorly, missed badly. 
Uh, my father was back and to my left. I was in front and he was back and to my left a little bit. And we both, after that happened, we both giggled, laughed about how bad we shot. And as I turned to share a moment of laughter with him about that particular uh, event in our day, the moment that I turned to talk to him as my vision passed his position, my gun went off accidentally, and I to this day don't have an explanation how it happened, but my gun went off and hit my father. I ran to him, he was probably about 40 feet away from me, I ran to him and I could see that it was very bad and I just started bawling, I started crying, I started just panicking, sweating, and then I just panicked and I took off running and I could see a farm in the distance um, that I thought was near where we had parked the car and so I ran all the way to that farm and I yelled and I got somebody's attention. They called 911 and by the time the ambulance got, ambulance got there and, and we took all of the equipment out to where my father was, he, he was gone. He, he had passed away. There comes a point in time when something happens like that that life has to go back to everybody else's normal. Everybody has to get back to their jobs, to their lives, to their school, to their routines. And there becomes a serious sense of your, my, my mom's, my sister's new normal, which was without my dad. And I began to then question, God, why did this happen? How could you, how could you let this happen? And how did, why did it have to happen the way that it happened? And every day for months, for months, I just begged God, tell me why. Help me understand, give me a reason why this had to happen this way. All of a sudden, I was overcome with this thought that there was no reason why, that my life was just total random chaos. There was The reason I wasn't getting an answer was because there was no answer. And then again, almost as suddenly as that hit me, the idea of the chaos hit me, it hit me that, yeah, this was an accident, but it was my gun that went off. My mom was suffering every day because of me. It was my fault. My sister was having to live and get ready to go to college and get ready to learn how to live on her own without a dad because of me. God got it wrong. I was the one that should have died in the accident and my dad should be here. How could God have got this so wrong? I need to be done. I need to be off the board. I need to be gone. I need to take my life and remove it so that everybody would be, everybody would be better off if I was gone. And I went out of the house to get out, to be by myself and to just basically wallow in my own sorrow and consider this concept of, of killing myself. I walked for about, I don't know, a quarter to a third of a mile and I can't, I don't have an explanation. I don't know how this happened. I can't explain it. I can only tell you and explain to you the best I can what my experience, what experience I'm left with, what my memories are. But in my spirit, I heard God say these words in the most authoritative, powerful voice expression that I have ever, I can't even explain it. He said these words, who am I? And before I could formulate a thought, before I could answer anything to God, he said, I am God. And then before I could gather myself, 
he said this, who are you? And again, I can't formulate a question, I can't formulate an answer. I couldn't get the words to come out of my mind. He said, that's right, you are not God. And then the tone changed. It was complete love, complete calm, complete peace in his voice that I felt through my spirit. And he said, what was all that conversation that we had on Christmas Eve about? And it came to my mind, the experience that I had when I talked to God. And I said, I will live my life the way you want me to as long as you help me. I trust you and I'll do what you want me to do as long as you help me. He goes, as you go and live your life, you're gonna have the opportunity to meet people, to run into people that are struggling. He goes, I've allowed you to go through this opportunity of growth, this struggle. He goes, I went through it with you so that you might make a difference for me in the lives of other people that are going through difficult times. And I, had, I was just struck and I was just dumbfounded with this idea that there was, it wasn't chaos, that there was a real reason, that, there was, that it was calculated, that there was a purpose, that there was a puzzles, pieces of puzzle that fit together. And then I, again, I was kind of taken to this, uh, like I couldn't understand what was going on, like memories or something were flying by me. And I saw my dad's funeral. I was like back away from it, but I could see what was going on. It was, I'd lived it, I was there. Um, the pastor gave the most beautiful, simple, perfect gospel message at my dad's funeral. There were 15 people that made a decision, either accepted Christ as their savior or rededicated their life and changed, made a decision to change their life and live for Christ at my dad's funeral. God allowed me to understand that it wasn't all just random. I just was overwhelmed with the fact that I had this load lifted off of me, that I didn't have the guilt, I didn't have the, I was still sorrowful, I still missed my dad, but I had no guilt and there was complete confidence that God was in control the whole time. I walked that quarter mile or so back to our property and across our property and I had a sense of relief and freedom that I hadn't had. I couldn't remember what it was like to have that. And as I walked from the woods to my house, I was drawn to all sorts of uh, Bible verses, passages of scripture that I'd heard from the time that I was little, talking about a sense of, don't be afraid, I'm with you wherever you go. Trust in me, not in yourself. I love you with all my heart. I gave my life for you. All those promises that I knew were in the Bible came to my mind as I was walking into our house. Cling to the love of God, cling to the fact that he is all powerful and in control and he'll allow you to get through what you need to get through. He'll walk with you and be with you the whole time. You know, what I love about Jay's story is that I think he's a living example of the truth that our greatest point of pain can become the place of our greatest encounter, where we encounter God in a unique way. And our place of pain can also become the unique place of ministry, that God can use our pain and help us to 
help others who are in a similar place. You know, Jay actually is an amazing guy. He has an opportunity to travel around and to share his story from time to time. And God uses him in powerful ways as he does that. Actually, I also want to let you know that if you would like to hear a longer version, a more extended version of Jay's story, uh, you'll actually be able to find that on our website. If you go to the messages page uh, where this message is found, there'll be another video. I'd love for you to check out the rest of what Jay has to say. But it is God's purpose, that God has a purpose in our pain. God has a purpose in our pain to draw us closer to him, to make us more like him, and to draw others to himself. Uh, I'm gonna ask the band to come up, and as, as they do, I'll, let me end with this thought, and then we'll pray, and we'll, we'll, we'll sing together. What does it mean for Jesus to be over my pain? What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, I think, I think it means this, you guys. I think it's very easy, because pain is so, is so loud, and because pain is so strong, I think it's easy sometimes to allow our pain to be over us. I think it's easy sometimes to allow our pain to define us, to allow our pain to determine who we, who we think we are and to dictate how we act and how we think and how we respond to the people around us. I think it's easy sometimes to let our pain be over us, to define us. I think what it means to, to invite Jesus to be over our pain is it is to choose to believe with whatever strength that you have and to choose to cling to allow God's voice to be louder than your pain, to believe his voice more strongly than your pain, to believe that he has purposes even when you can't see it in your pain. Listen, there is so much mystery around the idea of pain and suffering, but I believe that God has given us some insight to connect some of the big dots. And can I just tell you this? Can I tell you that I believe that the most blessed people on earth are not those who live a pain-free life, I don't think those are the most blessed people. In fact, I don't think they exist. I think the most blessed people are those who have come to cling to the purposes of God in the pain that they face in their life. And so, so let me just say, if you're a person, once again, who, who is struggling to believe God's purposes, you're struggling to see them and you're struggling to cling to them, if, if I would just say, if there's one place that I can encourage you to look, I think there's always one place where we can gaze our weary eyes that gives us confidence in what God is capable of doing with even the most worst kind of pain, I would encourage you to look to the cross and to look to the resurrection. Because on the cross, God allowed the worst thing that could ever happen happen to the most innocent person alive. And yet look at the good and the glory that God accomplished through what was done on the cross and through the resurrection. The resurrection shows us what God is capable of doing in serious and real pain. And so as we have a, an opportunity right now, I, I believe that if we can cling to the purposes of God with whatever strength that we have, and as a community of people to sing those purposes out with all of our heart, to choose to worship him, even in the midst of pain. Would you pray with me and we'll have a chance to sing together today. Well, Father, we just wanna say thank you. Thank you, God, that you are a God who not only not only sees our suffering, but you are a God himself who has suffered for us. That you don't just help us in our pain, but you have subjected yourself to pain to redeem us and to save us. Thank you for the cross. The cross reveals to us your character. It tells us what you're like. It shows the extent of the love that you have. The cross also reveals to us, it reveals to us what you're capable of doing. 
what you're capable of doing with pain and suffering and how you can redeem those things for our good and for our glory. So God, I wanna pray for every person in this room, no matter what it is that we're facing, that Lord, that we would choose with whatever strength that we have to embrace the purposes that you've given us, God. Help us to trust you and to follow you in our pain. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.